Welcome to the M3 Bear Essentials Podcast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I host a YouTube live broadcast and invite the editors and contributors of Mail Media Mind to present a topic of their choosing. We discuss politics, social issues, especially those facing the black and LGBT communities, entertainment, mental health, sexuality, and relationships, or whatever makes the news or makes us mad. View the show recording live to ask questions or comment in the chat. Subscribe to M3 on YouTube to get a notification when we go live. You can find links to our YouTube page and other social media platforms at mailmediamind.com. Now, enjoy the show. And we are live. It is Sunday, February 19th, 2017. And welcome to the M3 Sunday Hangout. I'm your host, Malcolm Travers. Mail Media Mind is a grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying the Black Bear community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. And every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we meet to discuss the current events of the week and to give our unique perspectives on the world, talk about uh, all the latest news, music, politics, entertainment, um, mostly politics. Um, but if you want to be a part of that discussion, uh, go to YouTube, uh, click on the side. There's a live chat that... Uh, you know, we will get to your questions um, about the topics we have or propose topics of your own. Because, like I said, my topics are dominated by politics. But uh, we will also be getting topics from all of our panelists today. I'm just going to go along the bottom. We have a special guest today. We have Shaka Hassani from the Get Your Love Life blog. What's going on, Shaka? How are you? How was the panel? Pretty good. Everybody's good. How's everybody doing? I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you are you really still considered a special guest at this point? <laughs> I'm a ro- hey, this is the view. I'm a rotating chair, in and out. In okay. and out. <laughs> it's like every time I look up, you in my refrigerator. So you know. <laughs> I know, right? Well, we're definitely trying to get you on more frequently, and like I said, we're trying to develop a podcast uh, specifically to ze- uh, developed to the M3 Life Group, and um, I'm trying to get that project off the ground because. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been working with all week has been getting this these episodes up on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google, and Stitcher, which they are currently up to date, finally, because my internet's been out for like a while. But anyway, uh, glad to have you. We also have Devon Branch. I think he's back. Uh, is Devon back? No. How about uh, Lonnie Richardson? Hey, guys. How's everybody doing? Hey, where are you joining us from today? Um, from the marvelous chateau at home, as <laughs> T.S. Madison would say. Yes, and uh, you can check out Lonnie on his uh, webpage. I guess you're under Jaybird Richardson on Facebook. People want to hit you up. <laughs> we also have Derek Jones, who's joining us from New York, renowned Leatherman, Baker, and Gentle Giant. What's up? Hello, everybody. <laughs> hey, what's going on? So, like I said, um, if you want to introduce a topic at any point, uh, feel free. I also posted a list of different topics which I can um, elaborate on. I know that um, I guess before going live, Shock and I highlighted a few of them. But if you want to highlight any of these, um, most of them have an audio component, and we can play that if you want. But basically, we're just going to go through them. Um, we're going to talk about the Trump administration <laughs> and particularly conflicts of interest 
that has to do with uh, Kellyanne Conway. So I don't know, there's a, a little known uh, thing called the emoluments clause of the constitution. And it's basically saying that at no point can your presidency, um, I guess, be used to your personal profit, especially from foreign governments. So that is true. now, like, there was a good example of this uh, just a week ago. I guess the was it the Japanese uh, were, uh, delegation was being hosted at uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. And I mean, there was issues that he could not pay him to stay there. <laughs> so they had to pay, I guess, out of his own pocket for him to, um, to stay at his resort because that would have been a conflict of interest type deal. Uh, I guess the same could be said about what Kellyanne Conway said about Ivanka Trump's product line. So basically, just tell me a little bit about the background of that because I might be forgetting exactly what happened with her. Kellyanne as a um, as her job in her job purview to uh, defend Ivanka, what's her name? Ivanka Trump? It is Ivanka, okay. I get those Trumps confused sometimes. <laughs> uh, the the, the daughter-wife's removed from Nordstrom's because it's not selling well. And you know, the president had to focus on that because there was nothing important going on that day. Yeah. Um, how's your disaster relief coming along, by the way, Malcolm? Yeah. So, <laughs> Kellyanne got on the news and decided to tell people that they should go out and buy Ivanka's line. Um, but as a representative of the administration, she is not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to influence people in that way. And that is actually illegal. And it goes to show that there are four different justice systems in this country because she should be locked the fuck up by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, not only that, there was this thing not too long ago about um, what he was going to uh, divest. You know, he was supposed to actually sell all of his stock and divest in the companies he has. He wasn't selling it. He wasn't mm. selling it. He was putting it in a in a trust, right? Yes. Which he was the sole beneficiary of. <laughs> so he was putting it in a blind trust, whatever that was. I don't even think it was a blind trust. It was just with his kids, right? Like his his daughter no, and son. What he what he has done is put the two boys in charge of the business, so that uh. he is not running the business day to day. He could, and again, these are his words. Let me see how my. Let me see how I'm doing with my uh, portrayal. I could do that. I could run both at the same time. Just because of how it looks, I'm going to turn it over to the boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. A little confusing. No, yeah, I mean, he's just flooding the law, basically. Because, I mean, the fact is, if there was a Congress that was an actual opposition to him, they would actually appoint a special prosecutor <laughs> to investigate. Would they, here, here's, financial now, here's my yeah. question. Would yeah. they, if we had a Democratic, if we had a Democratic Congress, being perfectly honest, hmm. 
would they do that or would they do what the Democrats have done over the last 20, 30 years? Well, let's work with him. Let's try to talk to him. Let's reason with him like he's a regular human being. And what and 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 much like with all bullies, once we talk to them and become their friend, we'll get what we want. I agree with you about the past. I just believe that Donald Trump is so much worse than Republicans <laughs> of the past that I think it would trigger <laughs> an investigation, especially a special I never thought for the day that I would want a George W. Bush back in the White House. Hush your mouth. Oh, no, that's the yeah, same president. Back in the White House, you know <laughs> it's got to be a worse evil, and it is Donald Trump. <laughs> they, literally, they literally referred to his administration as the access of evil at one point. <laughs> picture. Yeah. There's a picture of, his, of, of him and his immediate people <laughs> all sitting there in black, mob family. <laughs> well, that's what they are. And I, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I would, no, that picture exists. I'm not making that up. Uh, yeah, it is. I would prefer that to the shit that we have now. Because now you just, okay, watch. And I'm good. I don't know how many of you watched The Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first episode of this season of The Walking Dead in um, Negron Negron had everybody down on their knees in the dirt. Who was going to live and who was going to die. And for that whole hour and a half, everybody was living in a heightened state of anxiety. That is how this country is living right now. When the fucking CNN alert goes off on your phone or tablet, Fresh hell is happening in this hour. Not even in this day. In this hour. What's happening today? Yeah, I would say um, we our president is a volatile Twitter troll. I mean, mm. that's, <laughs> that's, that's just fact. <laughs> he's, he's emotionally volatile. If he just kept the craziness to Twitter, I would, I would even be, at this point, I would even be okay with just the Twitter shit. <laughs> Oh god, it's awful. It's it's kind of dystopian. I mean, anyway, <laughs> it's pretty bad. But yeah, I mean, the I don't know. Like I said, I think there would be an investigation, if not into his emoluments. You know, these payments that you know, basically, could he profit from being president? Which he, you know, I guess often people do. It's just that you know, what sort of allegiances does that does that you know bring? to his decisions as, you know, commander in chief. So I don't know. Welcome. Let me answer part, let mm. me answer part mm. of what you just said right now. He is profiting off of being president. Yeah. Because the secret service has to rent space in Trump tower. Yeah. Where, um, yeah. Uh, the squirrel and her, and the son lives. <laughs> Excuse you. And <laughs> you I want. Oh Rocky Bullwinkle fan didn't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. Um, so, so true. The Secret Service is renting space in that building. 
Yeah. And, and it's a very expensive That money space. is going directly into his coffers. So he is making money. Yeah. Just from that alone. Yeah. What's interesting is that, yeah, he's, he's um, yeah, the Secret Service has to have screening for the entire building. They actually have to rent out an entire floor of Trump Tower. I mean, that's how many people you're talking about. And then I'll heaven forbid the people that there. My mother called me one day in a tizzy. Yeah. Though she would never live in the Trump Tower. She she said, I, I would move. I would move, Derek. Do you know what they're doing? I said, what? When people get food delivered, they go through their food. There are people touching their food before they get it. I would die. I would just die. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there are people who own condos there. So, I mean, but yeah, every, I mean, literally, when you live, disappointed a little bit when Obama became president because he was the first president to live in an urban area. Because mm-hmm. most of these presidents lived on ranches and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, people who lived on his block, they had to be vetted. Their families had to be vetted. Like, if you want to go see somebody that lives on that block, notice before yes well this is something i think that yes that came up in the news um this term called the the deep state have you ever heard of that term before well the deep state basically is the bureaucracy that lives on from presidency to presidency there are people who are in national security who've worked there 20 30 years work for six different presidents and have done the same job for that period of time. Mm. And I think the reason the term deep state is coming up again is all these leaks that are happening about conversations, um, you know, that they've had on, you know, with foreign diplomats, you know, particularly Mm -hmm. Russian uh, foreign intelligence agents. Um, It was in the New York Times this week uh, that, you know, the president basically lied about having contacts with Russian intelligence officials. Now, it wasn't necessarily shown that it was knowingly, but they, they had, um, what they said, high level. These weren't people who, you know, may have traded information with, you know, intelligence officials, but high level Russian intelligence officials and their campaign way before he was even the nominee, like a continuous line of communication. And also the, the lies that Michael Flynn ultimately had to resign over, which uh, they were discussing, you know, um, he said that they did that he had contact uh, with, you know, a, you know, high level Russian operative in the Kremlin um, the same day that sanctions were um, were posted about those sanctions, you know, the, um, about the hacking of, you know, the election, basically, of the. Um, Michael Flynn is again proof that we have four different legal systems in this country. <laughs> yeah, because that, because what he did is considered treason, and but yeah. you know the Republicans don't feel that that's important. And then they, uh, they, sorry, and, then they and they blatantly lied about it because first they lied about the contact, then when it was found out about the contact, they lied about what they discussed. But then this whole thing about the deep state came up because these leaks started to come because those conversations with Russian diplomats are recorded and there's a transcript and it was shown 23 days before Michael Flynn um, resigned. Michael Flynn only resigned because 
we found out. Exactly, because they had it for almost three weeks, more than three weeks mm. before he resigned. They had the transcript on their desk saying, no, he lied to the vice president when he said this. And wow. apparently President Trump never lied to that man and sent him out sent him out into the world with the knowledge of that lie. Yeah, and he when he didn't there. So the, the the assumption is that they gave him three weeks to tell the public about it and then they leaked it. You know? Wow. <laughs> so that there is such a thing as the deep state and there Why are they find out about it though. Because they monitor everything. Yeah. If you call <laughs> if you call some trade in Russia right now, it would be recorded. Yeah, they they technically can't. Was this before target or after the elections? Before, before this was yeah, it was actually after the election, but before the inauguration. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Yes, it was after the, the election, yeah. before he took office. Yes. Yeah, and it was in December was after the election. Okay. There were contacts Lonnie, before then as well. Lonnie, this was. While Obama was still in office, and he put uh-huh. sanctions on Russia, and basically what they're saying is, Obama did that, called the Russians and said, "Girl, don't worry about them sanctions. We about to take office in three months, and as soon as we do that, shit's going to disappear." Exactly. Oh, wow. and there's evidence yeah. just in the public media that they didn't retaliate. It's typical when you put sanctions on someone, they put sanctions back on you. The fact that they didn't kind of is what they were asking them not to put sanctions back on us in retaliation because we were going to lift the sanctions as soon as they got into power, which is illegal. <laughs> you know, yeah, quite illegal. Which is why it's fired or you know, let go. However you look at it, <laughs> and it's not because it happened. Well, it depends, because- on, well, my- it depends on who you ask. Because if you ask, you know, us, he was fired for, you know, breaking the law, but not in jail. Uh, but no, if you not. ask, you know, number 45, he's fired because y'all niggas out here snitching. <laughs> <laughs> this yes. has been the greatest, this has been the greatest not, stop snitching campaign. <laughs> In five years. <laughs> oh, God, that's so true. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is happening. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, there was one other Trump thing I wanted to talk about before we moved on because um, there's another interesting story. I think we talked a little bit last week about the fact that um, there were some leaks that, you know, Trump really despise the Sean Spicer impersonation that uh, who I forget her the actress's name um, who does a, a Sean Spicer or Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy Melissa McCarthy yeah yeah so there was a conversation that leaked I don't know if it was a staffer or whatever that um, there was conference conversation between Donald Trump and um, Steve Bannon about the skit and their major problem with the skit was that it was a woman portraying uh, Sean Spicer. It was just something about it, like they found emasculated. So I guess um, Rosie O'Donnell basically um, tweeted something about, uh, well, I will play uh, Steve Bannon on Saturday Night Live. Because, 
you know, they've they're kind of uh, had their history of Twitter feuds or whatever. And I'm sure she would just love <laughs> to poke him in the eye and yet have the person, you know, the person that was reportedly having this conversation about a woman playing someone in his administration. I'm just saying, I see, because they're in talks right now. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but if ever Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> was playing, well, it's not just Steve Bannon, yeah, I'll really really um, There's a number of women who have come forth saying that they will play members of the administration. Christian Baranski um, is one of them. She's she's all set in gun ho. I forget who she's set in gun ho to play. But um, yeah, Betsy she's DeVos. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's like, I'm here for it. Yeah, she does look like her, too. <laughs> she does. If uh, I were to Donald, I think that I would just simply sit down because her and Donald Trump don't get along. And nope. I don't want to any more than what she That's what has been going on for years. Yeah. He's the president now. Uh-uh. That, he's very vindictive. No. Yeah, and that's the thing, that they know that he watches it. So, of course, she wants to do it. <laughs> and let me say it again. He watches a whole lot of TV for somebody that's supposed to be running the country. He yeah. watches at least two hours every morning. That's like actually reported that. That's just in the morning, right? <laughs> that's just in the morning. And he, but he, he got time to answer these um clap these these social um clapbacks too off Twitter and everything else to be running the country. Yeah, well, yeah, the it's tweet, funny the like tweet, the, the tweet that he sent about his daughter wife and her stuff being removed from Nordstrom's. Apparently, he sent that out while they were in the uh, military briefing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Security briefing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, he's not. He's apparently not paying attention if he's in those meetings. You know, right. if he's tweeting, and if he's, you know, just, this, you know, planning his next rally where people can show up to praise him. He's not paying attention to any of that stuff that goes on in any of those meetings. Of course so, you not. know, that has me even more concerned. That's why, I mean, that's why he has Steve Bannon on the uh, National Security Council, you know? Like, that's basically why, so he can just zone out. <laughs> Steve Bannon can tell him what to do. <laughs> so Which calls him, uh... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, on the flip side, the positive thing is that you have a president who's really involved in social media with <laughs> regular people, but on the bad side of that, is he truly paying attention to the shit that's going on in these meetings? Well, well I mean, you can say that he he does watch a lot of news, a lot of Fox News. <laughs> he watches a lot of fake news. That's how he knows. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> but he also watches a lot of CNN. It's been it, it has been proven because he tweets about him during the show. You know, he you know. So I mean, he he does watch CNN. Again, he has a lot of time to watch television, which. <laughs> but that's crazy. On one hand, he watches a lot of CNN, but they are not allowed to show up and sort of go back and forth with him if that was you know whatever is going on. But they're not even allowed to ask him questions. So isn't that you know it, it's it's something up with that. Well, he did have his first. Yeah, they call that great. Yeah, his first press conference right this Thursday, and he did call on CNN actually in that press conference. It was about um, an hour. I was going to ask you if we were going to talk about. The, I was ask you if we were going to talk about the press conference. The press conference was seventy-seven minutes long. Yeah, um, yeah. and I watched every moment of it. 
<laughs> so what were your impressions of it? Because uh, I watched only clips. I did see maybe I 15 minutes the of it. entire 77 minutes of it. And let me say, the first six, min- the first six minutes said, who is his speechwriter? Because he was clearly reading from something. So right. it was a speech that was clearly written. Now, whether he wrote it himself or not, I don't know. I think um, Sean Spicer would have written it if he did. Um, the communications director is not necessarily the speechwriter. Okay. Also, as a quick aside, there's like 691 positions, jobs in the White House, and 630 of them are vacant. So, oh, wow. There's wow. a lot of people pulling double, triple duty. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's crazy. So, seven minutes, because he was announcing who, was, who he was going to put up next for the new labor. And then it kind of morphed into, and now I'm going to pull my dick out. I'm going to masturbate. Half minutes. While y'all watch and enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Be much of a show. Because he clearly, clearly, clearly got off on this. At one point, he looked out into the crowd and said, how long should we keep doing this? I'm enjoying this. I'm having a good time. Are you having a good time? I was like, is this season's palace? <laughs> Shaka Khan, what the fuck is going on here? You are number 45, but hey, whatever. He has, um, he's turned the presidency into a reality show is what it is. This is his uh, yes, confession. Yeah, that's what I said, and, and that is what I said. Yeah. I, I said several things, one of which was Donald Trump thinks that he has won the award of being able to host the top reality show in America. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it will be for four years. So, you know. Yeah. Or until somebody just gets tired of us and blows us up. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite part. Wait, no, I can't oh. say my favorite part because it was my favorite parts. Um, uranium. You know, nuclear weapons. Mm. You can do a lot of yeah. bad stuff with that. And that stuff makes you do bad things. <laughs> Are you Rick James, bitch? Oh, God. But you know, it's it's funny how um, everything has made a joke of Trump, um, including video games, including cartoons that I've seen, and even this meme out there talking about some: do we assassinate or do we impeach? Which one are we gonna do? <laughs> Which one you decide, America? Mm. You know, it's just and then yeah. we have to do the reality show shit, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. There's no chance of impeachment because it's a Republican Congress. So, and he went on and on and on because again, I, I recognize you all watch clips. I don't know if anybody ever watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Nope. So, and on Hillary, like five different times. Hmm. I mean, like he would talk about her, and then he'd move on, and then he'd come back to her. What was he saying? Well, um, there was the whole if, you know, the Russia thing is not real. And if 
Hillary had won and she was doing the things I'm trying to think what exactly how he said it. Um, you all would treat Hillary different. If hmm. I had done any of the things that Hillary had done, you know, oh, I remember what it was. It was hmm. she got the questions early for the for the debate. Hmm. The debate way back the fuck when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and nobody reported on that. I saw no reporting. Nobody's talking about that. Are you serious? And if I had, this is what he said. And if I had done that, you all would want to pull out the electric chair on me. But no, she gets a pass. And I said to myself, after his third rant on her, because he wow. did rant on her a couple times, or like the third rant, I was like, so, her and then fuck her. Yeah, what about the reverse, though? This is crazy. No, I was just saying, what about the reverse? What if, you know, Hillary Clinton were president right now and she had ties to Russia going back to the beginning of her campaign? And But he keeps saying, but here's the problem with that, Malcolm. Hmm. He keeps saying Russia is a non-story. You all keep focusing. He got three different reporters asking him about Russia. And on the third report, it's like, oh, my God, how many times do I have to answer this? That's not a real story. That's not what's happening right here. Why do you keep asking me about that? Yeah. Like point, he went to the Jewish guy to get a safe, to get a safe question. And I don't know <laughs> if anybody is familiar with this question. Uh, there was a member of the Jewish press who started to cut, started the question with praising him. I don't think this is you. I don't think this is your administration. You know, so far, so good. You've done a great job. Thumbs up. Um, there has been a lot of anti-Semitic uh, uh, heat going on lately. What is your administration going to do? Okay, okay, okay. See, I thought you were going to ask an easy question. Okay, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. (laughs) This is exactly what he said to the man. All right, sit down, sit down, sit down. First, I am the most, I am the least anti-Semitic person you will ever meet. (laughs) Second, I am the least racist person that you will ever meet. Meaning he's racist. Well, this is what a friend of mine said to me. When you say you are the least of something, that still implies that you are that thing. I am the least tired of all of us sitting here on this panel. That does not say that I am that tired. <laughs> Only that I am the least the tired of everyone. Oh, not to have laid anymore. <laughs> Xavier. So, he never... They weren't even talking about answered. me lying with your big head ass. What the... Wait a minute. Guys, <laughs> hi, Xavier. How are you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look here, Donald Trump. Yeah, I was just I was saying hello. Yeah. <laughs> he came in, he, Xavier came in and made Lonnie the target. He made Lonnie Donald Trump for a second. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. I'm sorry. I got a, I got in my feelings. I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't let your name You can't be with a with a knife and just slice Lottie in the throat. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, the last point I want to make about the about the press circus concert. 
um, the, the Jewish reporter, and we're going to April, I cannot think of April's last night. Um, the reporter from the Urban Networks, Urban Radio Network. Um, oh, yes. Go ahead. And she asked him about his um, Ryan. Thank you, April Ryan. Um, and she asked him about this whole inner city helping black people, you know, shucking and jiving thing. Mm-hmm. And he went into this whole description about, you know, Chicago, because Chicago is every urban city. Chicago is where every black person lives in every urban city. <laughs> um, and she followed up her question with, are you going to reach out to the CBC? Which he did not know what that was. Um, and she told him, said, it's the Congressional Black Caucus. And he responded with, are you going to set up that meeting? You you know them, don't you? <laughs> Set up the yeah, this implication that all black people know each other yes, is very and, <laughs> and again, enjoying yeah, the clapback, not not from her. <sighs> a member of the said, "Thank God he did not ask her to stick around after the press conference was over to." to mop and wax the floors. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But but I'm sorry, isn't that Amorosa's job because she's the liaison between the black community and the president? That is supposed to be her job. But again, she, like so many people in his administration, you know, which is running like a well-oiled machine, by the way. Yes, yes he did say that. <laughs> um, that's what he, again, these are his words, not mine. But see, that's the um, about Amorosa. Like, has she ever been off her knees long enough to know what her job really is? No, <laughs> and that's the, and no, and that's what I was going to say about the whole administration. Most yeah. of these people are some form of reality star or something like that. Some people that he looks up to. They have absolutely no idea how this machine works. You know, there was a reporter said the the guy that he tried to get to take uh, Michael higher to take his place, you know, who was like a three-star general, and he was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want that job. Like, literally, <laughs> I, he was thinking about it until the press conference, and he was like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but an administration is supposed to know ahead of time before they announce a name whether the person is actually going to take the job or not, because that's kind of embarrassing to, you know, have someone say, yeah, I'm not going to serve at the president. Serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States of America. When I get called to serve my country, my response is hell no. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I heard most from the press conference had to do with his statements about uh, fake news. And so it's just impossible. Like he said, you know, when he talked about the firing or the res resignation of Mike Flynn, however you, you know, say it, um, you know, he would first blame the leaks that, yeah. you know, caused the story and then called the story fake news. And he's like, so are the leaks real? I was like, yeah, yeah, the leaks are real, but the story is fake. But the story <laughs> so, is fake. 
how is that even possible? <laughs> You're saying the leak is real. And then, the you know, you believe. Way. The same way his crowds at his inauguration were huge, which he brought up again. Yeah. He brought up his crowds at the inauguration again because these things are important to him. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they basically call it out again. Basically, he but said, that reporter uh, did bust his bubble, though, uh, about the crowds and that he had the largest um, inauguration, whatever numbers. No, the voting numbers. No, this was about his. This was about his lead in the um ele- in the in the uh, electoral college. Yes. He had the, the he had the largest numbers in electoral college, which turned out he did not actually have the smallest. Well, that was one of the things that the fact checkers and CNN were talking about was that with Trump, you fact checkers have to be right there on it because he's so quick to say something that is not actually what happened. Yeah. Yeah, they said basically and, you know, his, and his response was, Well, that's the number somebody showed me. That's what they put in front of me. Did you been saying this for two months? <laughs> yeah, there was something like you know, in our history, maybe like sixty five elections or something. This electoral college landed somewhere in the third. Basically average. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's neither particularly low or particularly high. It's in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know how you got the the largest since anyone. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, Brian Lawson would like us to not forget to discuss Larry Wilmore cursing out Milo Yiannopoulos on Bill Maher's show. Oh, I didn't see that. That was a good one. When I saw that one this morning, it, it so didn't happen. On the, it didn't happen on the show. It happened on the YouTube show that takes place after the broadcast show. Oh, okay, I did not see um, either. So uh, you know who 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 this guy is? Yeah, we talked about him before, and we actually had a story related to it. But um, yeah, Milo Yiannopoulos is the person somewhat responsible for for the outbreak of violence at Berkeley, um, and uh, you know is also kind of famous for being a troll troll and getting banned from Twitter for basically getting his minions to attack uh, Leslie Jones and others. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I, I know he was scheduled to be on the show, but he was I separate mean, from the panel. Yeah. Gay. Yeah. Yeah, he, wow. calls, he calls Donald Trump daddy. So, yeah. This guy, to me, represents a lot of certain personality types, I'll, I'll say that, certain personality types that I've sort of ran into. Uh, the ones that are, very, I mean, delusional may as well be their birthright, first, middle, and last name. But, you know, obsessed with men who have lots of money, black boyfriend as like some sort of a play toy, um, mm-hmm. their own interests, don't think that they are part of any type of community, especially the gay community but they see themselves as these dolls, these Ken dolls that are white and precious and nobody can ever do any sort of disdain against that, you know? And they think that the world is sort of at their feet, you know? So I can say, first of all, I can see why he would assimilate and, and really uh, support somebody like Donald Trump. But yeah. the other thing is, is that you do know that uh, his running mate, if you lived in his state and you even applied for a marriage license, that's grounds for you like being locked up and thrown in the bottom of the jail. 
So it's like, (laughs) this guy, I mean, just it makes our community look really bad. Yeah, and when I I think about people like that, I'm like, how much solidarity do we can we ever really even expect? Because I've come into a lot of those personality types in the city that I live in, and it ain't it ain't cute. Yeah, I mean he's he is a a a Twitter troll, so I can see why he looks up to Trump because he loves to aggravate people. He loves to get negative feedback. So you know, part of it I wanted to ask you because I did not see the exchange is. You know, what prompted Larry Wilmore to say what he said? So, uh, Milo was discussing transgendered people and um, kind of to what Shaka said, um, we do get these people, but they're normally outliers. They aren't the main aim of whatever they are. Yeah. And so he was talking about transgendered people and how some of these transgendered men out here aren't really transgender. You know, they're just confused and you know, they want to they're confused, but most gays, you know, he has found are confused about who they are. Oh fuck. He several years of therapy. And one of the other guests, I cannot remember this gentleman's name. But he has worked in basically he's a spy. <laughs> basically he's a retired spy. Milo said, "Well, if you're saying that so many gay men are confused, does that mean that you yourself are confused? Because you're coming off sounding a little confused yourself." Well, no, no, no. I don't mean me, of course. Um, whole transgender thing, and there was a conversation about protecting. Rights and at some point, Larry Wilmore just told him to shut the fuck up. He didn't know what he was talking about, and <laughs> to just shut, just like literally, just shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then Larry kind of read him for fells. <laughs> and everybody did. Oh, that's good. There are many people that I may want to be read by at some point in my life, like because that's fun. <laughs> I want Larry Wilmore to read me for filth. Yeah. I feel pretty good about myself most days. And not feel that way. I was done with me. Yeah. <laughs> Commit suicide. Yeah, so I think one of the, the stories um, tied to Milo had to do with this uh, journalist in Brooklyn, actually, who um, who basically wrote a puff piece on Milo and sort of received backlash himself and um, was also, also happens to be, uh, you know, happens to be gay and is now siding, I don't know, at least saying that he's moderate or conservative and talked a little bit about um, how he feels how the left has overreacted to some of the things Milo said. Um, How do you feel about, you know, the fact that when you talk... What's that? Oh, the, that's the guy I was talking about. Never mind. Malcolm Nance oh. was the guy I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was, um, I basically was asking, do you feel that, you know, reacting to Milo at all sort of just feeds into what he's looking for, which is negative attention, you know? Um, and how do you feel about him even being a guest on the show to begin with? Because I remember people talking about why was he... Um, you know, put on 
Bill Maher show to begin with. Yeah. I kind of felt, but I kind of felt that way after I, because I had to look up and see who Milo was. I, you know, I don't, I, tw- I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. You know, I check it like once a day to see if I have to see it, did I? But specific, I don't go on there much. Yeah. And I think that I, it's the modern day, um, um, what is his name? Uh, Perez Hilton. Mm. We've kind of propped this person up as being a social media troll, but yeah. any actual power. I mean, if we didn't really give them any attention, they would just go away. Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of likened me back to some of the discussions we had about, um, I guess Oprah Winfrey and some of her guests early on in her show where she had like neo-Nazis on her show. And, you know, the whole point of it was um, trying to break through to them to teach them about, you know, the positive aspects of diversity and sort of expose their hatred and whatever to the public. But she, I know at some point after the third or fourth Nazi show, (laughs) she's like, she's just giving them a platform to spew hate. And at that point, she decided never to have them on again. I just, I felt like there could be the same sort of thing said about Milo on Bill Maher show, which was like, why even have him on? Because you know what he's going to say, and you don't necessarily have to give anyone a platform who you disagree with on that level. However, it being Bill Maher show, he does that frequently. I don't know. How did you feel about the interview that he did before YouTube live um, presentation afterwards i i prefer someone who actually has i have this thing about interviews i like people to actually do a interview where you ask a question and they give an answer Mm -hmm. and sometimes that answer can lead to a story or a conversation um it's more of my hate dick is bigger than your hate dick I mean, no, really, if you watch the interview, every time Bill Maher says something to him, his response is, because when they talked about the Berkeley thing, well, Bill Maher has been, you know, asked not to come to Berkeley also. And Milo's thing was, yeah, but nobody burned the place down when they asked you not to come. They just sent you an email. The result was kind of the same, though. (laughs) And here's the difference. I'm Mm. a professional comedian. Yeah. You know, you were sitting in your parents' basement cleaning your pearls while you was motherfucking twittering. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. He was wearing pearls on the show. Oh, he was. I'm not, yeah. You know, I would like to read him. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we should get him on our panel. <laughs> That's clearly you know, Bill Maher. Since he right. would probably come since he likes the black meat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh god. He yeah. loved. No, he said that. He said that. Oh no. In so many ways, right? In so many Not ways. Not in so many ways. He said that because Bill Maher asked him about the black boyfriend that was a Republican. Republican. A Muslim. No. Right. That was an old piece because he got a yeah. new piece now. <laughs> <laughs> what, was her, what was her name? Bernice. 
from designer women. Black man, black man, where did you come from? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So y'all gonna talk about this Amarosa fight with the news reporter? I, I didn't hear about that. Because I need some clarification from Shaka or from um, Derek. Somebody give me some clarification. What the fuck happened? I don't know the whole story. So, Derek, you may know a little bit more than me. Yeah, I, I, well, I know the story, but it, but here's the problem. The story is not, the story never reached any major news outlets. Okay. So, I don't know that it's real. It was, but, but, but the story that I read was that it was a radio reporter that Amarosa hemmed up in the corner. Okay. The shit that you're saying, she she did this the ghetto version of it. You're talking about my man. You're going to let his name stop falling out your mouth, or I'm going to meet you outside. Catch oh, me outside. She would have called me outside. She would have called me outside, and I would have rearranged her fucking face. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. yeah. That, none of that scares me. Yeah. None of it yes. White House security been like, where the fuck is all these individual weed strands coming from? <laughs> oh, got drugs. <laughs> yeah, she would have called me outside. But she, I think the, the thing with most bullies is they know who to fuck with. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I have yes. to say, that, is generally the, that is generally the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen Omarosa go up against someone like, I don't April know. April Ryan. April Ryan or uh, <laughs> Joy Joy Reed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would yeah. love to see that. I would love to see that. <laughs> now, she did go up against Joy Behar, which, oh. honestly, if I was Joy Behar, I would have called her outside. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was painful. That was really painful. That yeah. really was. You know, but I, I attribute that to Joy's professional. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Being yeah. afraid of her, mm-hmm. yeah. And you yeah. know she came out there on a day with Whoopi. What? That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had to. That's what I'm saying. Whoopi <laughs> was not <laughs> having. Oh, uh, my understanding is that they filmed that on Thursday, so I guess Whoopi chose not to be there for that taping. Yeah. For the Friday they episode, do, they taped they on Thursday. Most of the shows live now, don't they? Uh, on <laughs> Friday, it's a pre-recorded show. Oh, okay. Yeah, they probably tape them Thursday then. Yeah. Well, um, he normally does not appear on the Friday shows occasionally, but not always. Oh, okay. Well, I did want to do that's that's what happened with the uh, with Almarosa threatening the the, the... okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I did want to talk about a story out of Europe um, that had to do with a a series of uh, protests and riots that are happening in the suburbs of Paris right now. Wow. Um, I don't know if you know that there was a, I think it was a 22-year-old man who was um, basically beat and raped while in police custody. Mm. And Oh, yes, I heard about that. Yeah, and it's been, I think, six days now. Now, there have been riots in Paris before. Uh, this was in, I think it was in 2005. So it's not as big as what happened then. But I think this one has a different context because they're actually in the middle of um, a presidential election. Actually, their, um, I guess their presidential election is in two months. And uh, so there's that aspect to it. And 
don't know. It was an interesting story. Uh, I don't think I want to play anything from it, but it was on NPR, and they basically were saying that the protesters and some of the violence has broken out in some of the um, neighborhoods in Paris plays into the conservative party while in police custody did you say he was raped um he was raped with a police baton yeah yeah i thought that happened over here so that's in paris oh wow i mean this happened here this is a different case recently it happened um because i know about the case in new york about the guy Mm. back in i think 2000 and something Mm -hmm. um but I didn't know that they happened in Paris. As yeah, well. this just happened last week. The one, yeah, that you were talking about um, happened, what, nearly 16 years ago? Or, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so this just happened last week. Uh, I think it was last Saturday. And uh, sometime when the story came out, I think it was Sunday or Monday, there have been protests and riots, and they've continued since then. So. Wow. Um, so anyway, uh, obviously the storylines are very similar. I mean, there's growing, uh, I don't know, racial tension in Europe generally because of uh, the Sef- uh, Syrian refugee crisis. Like I said, it's a magnitude of about 50 times um, more people from Syria coming into Europe than to the United States. So uh, we're talking close to a million Syrian refugees in uh, France and their population is less than that of California. So, I have a question. Yeah. So, was this guy Syrian? Was he black? Um, oh, uh, he's he black. LGBT. Yeah. Like, like no, he's just he's just black. <laughs> he's a. I'm sure he's like his family were immigrants he's from a Africa. Black Brit. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's British. Okay. Either way, he was. You know. He's just like, I don't so think was he was in their custody because of what? Like, did he commit a crime? Like, I mean, he was arrested. I'm not sure exactly for what. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, whatever it was, <laughs> I think the worst part of it was the reaction from the police because they called it an accident. They don't deny that it happened. <laughs> he somehow was accidentally raped with the baton. So that's where some of the outrage is coming. Mm. So anyone, um, how do you accidentally rape somebody with a baton? You don't accidentally rape someone. <laughs> I think that's the outrage. Yeah. That's what the demonstrations are about because there's no criminal charges pending because of it. I think what you know for me, I can't help but to think of like different ways to, you know, come up with or different solutions that I can try to come up with to prevent this from happening again. And the only thing that goes back to, you know, I guess getting something done in my mind is to do away with this whole justice system that we have and, and, and do something that actually works because this format that we've been going through. for We have four different systems. Maybe even more than that. But I, I think that, uh, you know, we got to do something. We have to do something different as, as a, as a country, as a, at, you know, every community has to do something different. Yeah. Well, you know, this this kind of came up with another story. I don't think I had it on the list was um, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. Um, there was a panel recently um, reviewing what happened and how, you know, all the political decisions that led up to that uh, lead contamination. And they basically said it was racism. I mean, that was the 
result of the study because the state was looking for ways to save money. They had a budget crisis. The city was under state control already because of it. And in looking for ways to save money, they basically said if this was a more white affluent community, it would never have happened. Uh, they would have found you a, another way. Right. They're just saying, like, if it was just, you know. If it was Baldwin Hills, I don't think it would have happened. Exactly. If it was a suburb of Detroit, you know, that would have. Well, let's look at the Dakota Pipeline. Yeah. That got moved because it was going to go through a white neighborhood, and they said, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, just, it's just a joke. Um, they were talking about that on uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, which um, is actually back on. Uh, there's a community in, I think, Nebraska that's stopping it because it the pipe would actually flow through fresh water uh, that people, despite being Republican, are opposed to. <laughs> it's like, not my water, <laughs> as they say. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's pretty clear. But also the part of the report that... Uh, sort of interested me was their recommendations um, just didn't make, I don't know how to describe it, but it just seemed unrealistic to somehow, I don't know what, what methods you would do to prevent something like that from happening again, you know, because that's, you know, that was some of the, I can't, I can't remember specifically the recommendations they had, but my general impression was like, yeah, good luck with that. because. <laughs> It's just like saying, okay, well, the solution is to somehow get rid of racism. <laughs> yeah, racism isn't going anywhere. That's it. <laughs> it is unfortunately here to stay. Yeah, let's somehow train people. I think that was the... the we have to replace it with something else. That was the recommendation is to better train their, you know, state officials. And- I'm, I'm, I'm really over this whole retraining aspect. <laughs> because, how, because how do you how do you train someone not to be racist? Well, for the time that I'm eight, for the eight hours I'm wearing this blue uniform, I'm gonna see all people as opaque. Black, I'm not gonna be white. I'm just gonna see all people as opaque. And then when I take this motherfucker off, I'm gonna go put my clan's outfit back on. Okay, <laughs> yeah, training doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. What what do you see as sort of the solution generally and we were talking about the criminal justice system. That's the, the tie that I had into the earlier story. I, I think Shaka's right. I think we got to redo the whole... I think redoing the whole criminal justice system is just part of it because redoing that and you literally have to hit the reset button on everything. Yeah. Hit the reset button on everything and start everybody from Point A, so that fair, you know, maybe give incentives for people. um, Well, uh, you know what? I digress. Never mind. Forget that. Scratch that. (laughs) Okay, I was like, uh, (laughs) scratch that. You were alone on that one. <laughs> well, I wanted to hear the thought at least before I, before I shot oh, yeah. it down. <laughs> For every three niggas you don't shoot, you get a right. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> incentive to, to, to make people do better. I don't know. Um, that would be. Stuff ain't going to work. That would be called prison. Uh, that would be the incentive not to shoot people. 
because you are how about because you have humanity <laughs> more incentive <laughs> you know what i'm saying well, i just think the regular old you know prosecution of murderers would do the job you know but but lonnie let me tell you why that would not work uh-huh. because then you have to admit that there is racism and there is bias and all these other things that people love to admit this is 2017 we don't do this shit no more this shit's not happening for real but why was the whole correctional facility started anyway why was law enforcement started anyway um so the whole thing from my understanding has been built on prejudice it has been built on bringing runaway slaves back to their master and things of that nature so something that's built in that type of um, environment, I don't think it will ever change, honestly. Un- unless we just have robots um, do the job. <laughs> but even robots have to be programmed by somebody. There you go. Yeah. Yes. They do. So, like, how do you change the values that you put into any system that you create? You get rid of the labels. That's what you do. You get yeah. rid of the labels, you get rid of, and you get rid of that stigma that comes along with it. Because I yeah. think... Where, you know, this is a European, this is a Western philosophy, these labels and all of these different things that uh, separate us more than it actually brings people together. And I think that as soon as we dispel all that, get rid of it, we can start to make these like incremental adjustments towards, you know, making sure that we are saving everybody's mind, not just a quick fix or not just, you know, not to discount what you're saying, Xavier, but the the uh, incentives for rewarding people for what should be an organic innate nature that all of us have, you know? Well, you know, I had this discussion with a friend recently about the storms that happened here. And he said, you know, it's a, you know, it's a damn shame that we have to have police um, basically monitor all of these empty houses for fear that people will break in and loot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, I don't know. I just remember this old quote that someone said that, um, you know, if we were all angels, we wouldn't need, a government to begin with, you know, like if you, if there weren't bad people in the world, you wouldn't need a police force. You wouldn't need a military. You wouldn't need, you know, we just all live cooperatively, but we don't. So of course we need people to patrol. I mean, I don't know if I even see it as a problem. I just see it as a situation because there's no real solution to that. There are always going to be people who want to get over on others. So I don't see that as a problem so much as, you know, let's, deal with the situation that we find ourselves in instead of thinking about, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it, that was not reality? <laughs> you know, I just don't see it as productive. So, um, you know, so I just say there are better and worse solutions or ways to live in a reality uh, that we do now. So I don't know. Um, just getting off on tangent. But I don't think it's something that we could really, you know, just me thinking about these different types of things all the time. Or yeah. I don't think if it, I don't think it's a solution that we can solve it in one generation. You know, it has to be something that we that I really do think that everybody seems to be working towards right now. But yeah. you know, that's why I think that um, you know people's psychology, at least the way that they look at the world, people's different philosophies are getting better. I just don't think that you know it's not it's it's never going to be something that anybody can solve in one generation. Yeah, uh, and it may take you know, lots of bloodshed in order for things to happen. I'm, you know, one of these, uh, I guess, people that believe that revolution, that's how you're really going to make a radical change. Mm -hmm. And that means that... 
Absolutely. So with that, I, I believe that the government at some point is going to have to step back and say, you know, the hunger yeah. game. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do? Which, well, which I did have. Hunger, which would you prefer, the Hunger Games or the Purge? The Purge, actually. I think the purge. <laughs> oh, you look like a, you look oh, like a Purge. Oh, the, purge. <laughs> 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 the Purge may do it. You know what I'm saying? Because I would definitely go after a couple of people that I would. Let, <laughs> let the Black LGBT people take over the criminal justice system. Oh, 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 oh yes. Yeah. It'll be sex in every jail cell. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, one dude getting raped by a baton now. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. All right. But it won't be racism. It won't be racism. Oh, God. Well, I did have one question left out of the story. And, um, it's somewhat of a controversial topic, but one of the things that was talking about the uh, Paris elections, or I'm sorry, the French presidential elections. Which, um, you know, are centered in Paris, the capital. So they uh, they had this. Um, I guess they're just saying that the the demonstrations and riots sort of benefit the conservative party uh, simply because you know all of the. <laughs> I don't know. There's there's been a populist wave throughout the world over the past decade or so. It really, kind of started um, with the rise of Putin in Russia, really. Uh, and then moved into like India and the UK, uh, me and Brexit, Donald Trump, and now in Paris, sort of the same deal that the reaction of the population to things like racism or immigration or I know a dozen of different things, uh, global globalization, you know, um, has sparked a backlash in most places. And, you know, even though, I don't see any other um, response that's adequate except protest. And, you know, talking about when you talk about police violence, but, you know, the question has to be asked, like, does it lend toward people like Donald Trump becoming in coming into power? Because I don't understand understand your question. Are you saying saying, that? I'm just saying, are some of the protests that people engage in, such as in Paris or in the United States, lead to a backlash such as Donald Trump or Brexit or whoever the French president equivalent is. I think it depends on who is protesting. Mm. Uh, Let's go back to last year or a couple years ago when we got the Black Lives Matter protests going and stopping traffic and such is, is, is wrong and you know, that's not how Martin Luther King did it back in his day in the 60s, and, you know, which is incorrect. Or my favorite, you know, protesting and rioting never led to change. And these are people who've clearly never read a history book and don't know anything about the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> nothing but a huge fucking riot. <laughs> um, but it's all of these things do lead to change but I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the last story is being able to lock on to other people's humanity yeah I think that this person that is this color is just as human as this person of this color who is yeah. equally as human 
Yeah. Um, and and once we once we kind of get to that place, until we get to that place, um, that's where the problem. I think that there is a there is a percentage of people that riots and stuff do lead to nominating to you know to getting people like Trump who say buzzwords like well you know we're going to make law first and you know we're going to be tough on crime because if you don't know why these people are out in the street rioting if you don't know why Black Lives member movement is out then to you it's just why all these people in the street somebody needs to lock them up yeah yeah he said he's gonna lock them up okay yeah and i I think my response to it is if it does cause a backlash then maybe that backlash is necessary for change um i i I do think a major part of trump's ascendance was how divided the left is generally um you know we jump on each other about you know sort of petty arguments and you know there were lots of just people who you know, didn't like Hillary Clinton. Like I was able to stomach it, even though I'm a burn. I was a Bernie supporter and still am. I just don't think uh, it was enough. You know, we complain about the presidency being a personality contest or a popularity contest. You know, um, when we really should look at people's qualifications and their issues. You know, um, and so I, I often bring up the um, you know Hillary comparison. It's just like if Hillary did half the shit. Donald Trump did, do you think we would have the same sort of reaction uh, from, you know, Congress or from the public or, you know, just... Come on, let's, let's be, let's, 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 let's be honest. Let's break it down. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll start with Obama. Mm. And could not fist bump his wife when he was running for office. Everybody remember that? Mm. Yep. He gave a speech, introduced him, he came up on stage, they did a fist bump, and for the next two days, it was kind of a terrorist symbol. Yeah, terrorist fist jab is what Fox News called it. Terrorist fist jab. <laughs> I, think the media plays, I think the media does play a big part in that, because when you have conversations with people... In, 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 in any format, whether you're at, you know, a restaurant bar, whether you're, you know, you just, you know, a bus stop, you know, people are okay with that. But when you look at the media, places like Fox News and some of these conservative outlets, they're the ones who are making the issue out of it. Yeah, so exactly. But, no, 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 I, I agree with what you're saying. But here's my yeah. point. You have that, and then we had to spend a week dealing with talking about a fist bump, but this <laughs> motherfucker is absconded in Russia. I mean, you literally cannot talk about him without talking about Russia. Yeah. He is, you know, you, you open him up, and there's another Russian, there's another a smaller Trump inside. Yeah. What do they call those dolls? <laughs> yeah. dolls yeah. well, here's the thing, though. <laughs> We were talking about the uh, the deep state earlier, talking about the entrenched bureaucracy of national security. Russia is a threat. It's, it's part of the daily, weekly threat assessment, like just officially as the position of the United States. And your campaign had continued contacts 
with a state that we consider a threat for months. And then your opponent is hacked by that same country. And you call that fake news. And you were all, but you were okay with that. You know, yeah, and again, yeah. as a American, you should have been like, hey, you know what? Do I want to win? Yes, I do. Do I want to win because there's a foreign power fucking with our shit? No, I don't. Yeah. And then, yeah, when, you know, the current administration sees the threat from, you know, someone that he's daily getting a threat assessment on, decides to kick out all of the ambassadors from the U.S., Rus- you know, the Russian amb- uh, embassy in the United States. And cut off ties, you know, at least temporarily, um, which seems reasonable when you meddle in our elections and hack one of the, uh, you know, presidential candidates. Like, that's a problem. <laughs> and then you have your national security advisor saying it's okay, you know. But and that's so confirmed that he did that. So, so my, my original point, because I did have one, hmm. my original point was. There are some people that are magic. <laughs> See, Donald Trump is one of them. <laughs> is it just because our expectations are so low for him that we just kind of like? Oh. No, it's because if any, if because if because Hillary couldn't get out from up under fucking email and email server has a. I mean, he is surrounded by motherfuckers that truly are who's truly sit at the foot of evil. Well, here's the deal. There's a out of the car and go get Satan cigarettes. Well, here's here's the worst thing, though, that the leaks... Oh, I'm sorry, I'll let you speak, Ronnie, but I just want to make one more point was to deal with people within the national security apparatus, if you want to call it the deep state or not, I think that's debatable, but those people are afraid to give him security briefings now. I mean, it's being reported. Yes, they're afraid to, that there are so many leaks coming out of the White House that, you know, he himself is so volatile and unpredictable that, you know, they're talking within agencies about should we even be sharing this information with him? Well, he's not listening to it. He's not even, he's tweeting during the briefing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying this is alternate universe type shit. You know, like this is alternate universe. This is like something out of some weird spy novel where they don't trust the president. You know, this is something out of 24. I think that show, <laughs> sometimes I thought Jump the Shark, where they think, you know, the president is actually working with a, uh, an enemy of our, our our country, you know, and there are actual contacts between you and this person, even before you got elected. I think they have right to at least. Has, yeah, that's fucking crazy. Has anybody, has anybody watched the TV show Powerless yet? Not yet. It comes on NBC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there is a character. Um, he's the head of the corporate, the Wayne Corporation that the that the char- that the people of the TV show work for, because it's based in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Um, in charge because he is Bruce Wayne's cousin. Yeah. Completely inept. <laughs> He's an app, and he has no fucking clue. And the show is not doing that well. I watched it, and it's an enjoyable show. 
But I think the problem is I'm watching this daily. This motherfucker be rich and inept without a clue. Heard on a TV show to escape from that. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> oh, I don't want to see that anymore. It bothers me. That's funny. You know, it's funny that. And I think that's why that show is not doing well. And I think that's going to alter a lot of our television at this point because what? Because going back to what you said about jumping the shark, what seems like a shark jump, what seems like anti-bat shark repellent, is now the reality that we're living in. Yeah, and I think that's that's a, a real thing because um, I was just gonna. Um, go off on another tangent was I was listening to an interview they had with um uh I can't remember his name from uh Key and Peel the one the guy who did the Luther impersonation uh the the character from uh Key and Peel anyway uh he was getting an award for that and um some of you know basically asked him like why do you think you know, your show was successful and he just said because of Barack Obama like Here's this. <laughs> we just happened, you know, to have elected a biracial president, and there's this these two biracial comedians who are proposing a show, and they're like, "Hmm, <laughs> maybe we have a popular president who, you know, can't really speak his mind on certain issues because he might be perceived as an angry black man." And you propose a skit, and they're just like, "Okay, this is this is gold. <laughs> like this is gold. So much so that you ultimately perform that skit with the president himself." <laughs> so to say, like. I don't know, the current administration might influence the popularity of a show, definitely. I mean, you know, it did for him, and I'm sure in reverse order, anything that reminds you of the fucked up situation that we happen to find ourselves in might not do so well, you know? <laughs> might not. Um, but I did want to move on to something else. I'll give everyone a chance to uh, contribute a topic of your choosing. And like I said, um, if you have just something I, small, I you want to had uh, uh, a topic that I wanted to discuss. It's actually his topic. Okay. And I want to see how it came out for him. Uh, Shaka, you posted last week. Yeah, because you weren't on last week. Which one I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Um, <laughs> You posted about the whole thing about our parent, our grandparents, telling us we need to be twice as smart, um, twice as smart, twice as good, twice as fast. Um, and you, now I didn't understand. Were you asking that just from a point of asking that, or were you asking that because you felt that that was coming from a place of? Wanted to be liked. I was asking. I'm actually looking right now, so I can read the entire post. But okay. I was asking. Oh, yeah. I, I was for, for me. A lot of times when I put certain things on Facebook, it's always from a reflective point. I may see something. I may remember something that I've been through. But that particular um, day, it was about. I read something, and someone said, "Well, you know, we have to be twice as good. Uh, black people have to be twice as good." when you are in the same position as someone who is uh, non, we'll say um, someone not who is of color. Yeah, not of color. And I disagree with that. I disagree, I, I disagree with it because of what does someone do? Especially when I heard it for the first, actually, 
my parents never told me that, and I'm glad that they did not. My parents were always focused on us as individuals, and they did their best. Um, but I think that if I, just the kind of person that I am and the kind of kid that I was, if I heard that, I probably would have dissected. What, you know, what is she talking about? Like, what, what what does that even mean that I have to be better than someone who I really think that I'm not better than, but I'm I'm, I'm more equipped to handle a situation and come out on the forefront because I'm so focused on who I am. I'm not worried about anything else that anybody is or what they're bringing to the table. I'm looking at it also in a collaborative sense, which means that I'm not going to put myself in a situation where um, there has to be this um, this constant evaluation on myself based on a chemical in the skin. Um, I, 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 I'm aware of where it comes from, like the whole saying, you know, you know, I think I think it's more of a throwback saying. I don't really hear a lot of people that are in my age group that say that now. They just say, you know, be the best you that you can be. But I, I think it's very important when we think of, you know, what messaging does and when you embed something in a person's psyche that that help that that actually, in my opinion, uh, makes the anxiety when we are pulled over and we see the, the lights and the, that makes it even worse when we are going up against someone who's white for the same job, that makes it even worse because we're having to always focus on being better than being authentic. And that is, that's, that's why I lost the connection and that messaging because of the, the potential damage that it could do, but I'm going to continue to find um, this. Okay. Well, you got to show me. All right. So what I was always taught was you have to be better than everybody else. So we're all going to be two steps ahead. So, and especially when they were talking about that, they were saying that more so for the pink people, more so than just our own folks. Uh, and that's, I think that's partly because I'm living in the South. And so that's what I've always done. I've always strived to be the more educated person going after a job or the most credentialed person going after a job. And, you know, I've heard now since, you know, becoming an adult and everything and I start working, you know, people say sometimes you're overqualified for a position. But at the same time, when I get into some positions, even where I am now, here in Atlanta, I find that I do the same job as certain other people. And yes, I have way more credentialing than they do. And for me, that gives me a sense of job security, but then it's also kind of like a slap in the face because I went through all of this to get to this place that I am, to get where I am. And they only did half of that, 75% of that, and they're in the same place. Yeah. No doubt. I think there was... um like I said, when I was, I think we were talking about recommendations not too long ago. If you ever saw um, the movie uh, Hidden Figures, it was kind of the same idea, maybe talking about where some of those um, sayings come from, which is, I mean, they were just, it was a part, part and parcel of the black community to be so credentialed and exceptional to the point that you couldn't be ignored. Like if you're trying to hire, you know, the best physicist, the best um ever you'd have to look you literally have to be hurting yourself by you know disqualifying black applicants because they're just so credentialed um and that's basically what happened for nasa which is like if we really are getting the top class you know we're trying to launch a shuttle to the moon <laughs> we literally need the best minds available and some of those minds just happen to be black uh you do it you know um, I can see where it's coming from. Um, I think there are negative consequences to any action. You have to look at both sides, which is to say, for some people, that sort of standard might seem hopeless. You know, like if you feel like 
you have to work twice as hard to get half as much, then, you know, what's the point? Sort of being nihilistic about it. Um, that you're never going to get your due. Some people will fight and some people will just uh, give up. I mean, I think that's a reality that, you know, when things get harder, some people don't step up. So that's true. I, I found I found the uh, post. I'm going to read to you guys what I said. Um, as black people, we are told that we have to be twice as better in things. But according to whom? Who are we trying to please? Whose approval are we seeking to place in our mindsets to be better than anyone? I understand history in today's climate, but what does that have to do with who you are at your core? Which is ultimately what matters, of course. I disagree with this philosophy and how much of a detriment the power of marketing and slogans shapes one psyche on this matter. Focus on being the best you that you can be. Why isn't that message being circulated instead? So that was that was the full extent of what I wrote. Um, but to, you know, I, w- I wanted to sort of piggyback on what you were saying, Malcolm. Is is that yeah? You have to. We were told all these things. You have to work twice as harder. You have to be much more credentialed. But you still, even with all of those accolades, all those accomplishments, all of those milestones that people set out to achieve, you are still going to be disrespected if you are putting yourself in a particular position where people don't like you. People don't want you there. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not looking at that. They're looking at you as umber. They're looking at you as a quota that they need to fill because they have to have so many black people, women, or anyone else that's considered to be a non But let me say this. Yes. I agree with you from a generational standpoint. (laughs) When this was being told to kids, it was a different, it was a different time where you did work at work with people who you knew could not stand you, where you had to put up with a whole lot of bullshit. But those sacrifices were made for people so that we could get to this place where we could have this conversation about do you still need to tell your children that? So are you saying that, that we no longer live in that situation? I'm saying that the situation is not as it was. I think it still exists, but not on the level in which it did. When it's not over anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would definitely it's say overt, it's not overt and it's not everywhere. I think to Malcolm's point, Malcolm is correct. I think a lot of businesses have come to recognize it again as people have died, as grandfathers have died off and their grandchildren have taken over the company and come to realize that the best person for the job, the best person for the job, regardless of their color. Yeah. I think that's true. 75% of the time, I think there's still a percentage of the time where we have the grandfathered in concept, which is more popular. I think it's more fed here in the South where you say, well, how did they get that job? Well, child, they were grandfathered in, which essentially means they're not qualified as somebody else, but because they are this, they belong to this group, this race, whatever, somebody went on and hired them knowing better that they were not really the ones to be in that job. Always going to exist. That's always going to exist. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And yeah, I just hope that um, whenever you, you know, speak or 
you know, tailor a message to someone to consider your audience. Like, you know, not only is the context in which you would say that different, it's also different audience that you're speaking to. And is it an effective message? Does it, you know, you can see how good it works or it doesn't. And, you know, she always be basing, you know, your strategy or your messaging based on your audience. Right. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but. And Chaka, for the record, it wasn't necessarily being a better person or twice as good a person, but, you know, being twice as good at what you did. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a topic uh, I wanted to move to. It was actually from the um, uh, N3 Life podcast we're trying to get together. And I just wanted to touch on one of them, which had to do with uh, relationships and dating in an era of divided politics. So it even brings well, back... we haven't done a relationship conversation in a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's related to politics. So apparently there is oh. this website for Trump voters they can go to. It's like... Uh, it, apparently it's a popular thing in dating websites right now to say no red hats apply. <laughs> Which means if you are a Trump supporter, you're getting, you know... <laughs> left in the dust. <laughs> no fats, no fibs, don't make America great again. Right, exactly. So much so that a website has popped up uh, called like TrumpDate.com which now has like 50,000 members for, you know, people who are Trump supporters who are looking for love. <laughs> so, uh, I, gotta, I gotta ask, like, someone who's a Trump supporter? No. Yeah, I mean, I think young queer life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't do it because, and, and you know, I don't want to be general. I don't want to generalize a group of people, but I will say that every person that I've ever had a conversation with about why they voted for Trump, uh, about just just you know who he is as a politician, they they haven't been very smart people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's been a running thread. I, that's all yeah. I was saying. As the people that I have talked to have not been smart about why they go into that decision. So I, you know, I, I think about that and I think about how they apply that same logic, that same thought process to anything else they have to make a major decision about. I'll just back away slowly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good advice. <laughs> Do that whole thing, the Homer fading into the bushes. Yeah, just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to. I have to second that, and it goes. And it goes along with any Trump supporter, not whether I'm trying to date them or not. Um, yeah. Are supporting whether you agree or disagree the sexism, racism, you know, and all the other isms. You are supporting that, okay. Um, yeah. Jared has a friend who is a, and is always, you know, praising, wishing Jared well on our relationship. And I'm like, yeah, that's an oxymoron. You can't fucking do that. Yeah. You know, this motherfucker wants to put me in a camp, but you happy that we together. No, I, I, I can't fuck with that. Sorry. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think they had an interview with a woman who was just saying, like, why would you date someone who thinks, you know, it's okay to just walk up to beautiful women and kiss them 
You know, you can grab them by the pussy, do whatever you want because you're famous. That's. Grab them by the pussy. I'm waiting on somebody. Who says that, though? Who's. Listen, I've been around for a long time. Locker rooms, inside of locker rooms, outside of locker rooms, movie theater. I've never heard somebody say grab a woman by her pussy. I've never. 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 Uh, I have been around straight men, black straight men, who have talked that way, who have said what they've done to strippers and so on and so forth. So I guess in my background, yes, I've heard men talk about how they've degraded women. So it is, I think, considered to be locker room banter. Now, Lonnie, are you just specifying strippers, though? Up to women in general. Okay, you guys are talking about um, locker room banter. I have been around heterosexual men, black men, who have said some of the things that they've done to women, far as, yeah, I fucked that bitch. Yeah, we took turns dogging this bitch out and so on and so forth. So I have heard talk like that. I have never heard them physically say they've walked up to a woman and grabbed them by the pussy. There you go. Locker room banter. To me, locker room banter just simply means that you just freely talk to someone and tell them the things that you've done to women or to men or whatever, especially in um, beauty salons. Um, Women have had conversations where they have said, like, this man had a big dick and da-da-da-da. So... But in no, but in none of those, but in none of those areas, have you admit? Have you heard anyone admit to sexual assault? You gonna say, yeah, we ran a train on that bitch while she was tied up, screaming, "No, no, no, don't touch me." No. Yeah, I've heard them talk, and my my um, some people that I grew up around have had those type of conversations. Did you call the cops on them? Right. So, because now you're aiding and abetting. I mean, but, you know, but I'm, but I'm saying that you guys make it seem as though that this doesn't happen, and I'm just simply saying is that this type of conversation does happen. That I'm sure times people don't admit to 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 crime in the locker room because that's a crime. I think that that's just a... Lonnie, if I walked up... Okay, it's a crime because we look at it as a crime because we're saying that what he did was sexually assault or somebody. Okay, now, I have been around men in locker room. I've been around men in general, just in the gym, and they, they do talk similar to that. You know, most men glamorize the concept of being a womanizer. So what he's saying is not egregious. No, what he's saying is, okay, because when, when you say... Uh, something that could be construed as a law. Well, this is how the law is actually written. If you go up to a woman, and if she does not consent to it, or if you use your power to do that, then, you know, exactly. you could be... If she doesn't consent to it, yeah. But we don't know that. We don't know that, because at this particular point, based on the banter, it's a joke. We don't know what that woman... Let's bring her into the conversation. Let's see... How many right. She didn't press charges, so therefore... Well, we don't know that. All we know is is that these guys are laughing about something like that. And none of these men that we're listening to are running for public office. So I think that you have a certain regard that you put yourself in. And yeah, we know that this is this is something that happened, what, almost 10 years ago, maybe? But e- even in that position, and I know we're talking about Donald Trump, so we automatically have to lower the expectations. But it's, you know, we, 
for anybody of a of a respectable statue, I I would not do that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm having a conversation with Billy Bush of all people. It just for me, it just you know. Well, think about it um, like this. And have you seen? And hold on, hold on, hold on. And have, have you seen when those people? Because there is a woman who brought up sexual charges against Donald Trump. Was running yeah. from. <laughs> Where wow. right? Yeah. Where, the, Where is she? And that just notice that shit just kind of just the fuck up here. Yeah. You <laughs> had forty women that came up. They said Bill Cosby date raped them, and a nation turned against these forty women. Y'all is mm-hmm. making that shit up with the same fucking story. So using the 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 excuse of well, why didn't they report it? If I was a woman and had been sexually assaulted, I'm not sure I would report it because that can be a fucking death sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think the if anything has been shown that the president has a lot more leeway than most people, you know, think. So I'd say one of the things that um you know surprised me or that I, I noted from, you know, some of the conversations that um, people had around, uh, you know, what Donald Trump said was that, uh, you know, people have um, faced criminal charges for less, you know, admitting on tape to having sexually assaulted and then, you know, having women come forward and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think there is something to it. And I don't know, what would I you think, think about- I think we're looking at power of money again, also. I don't just think it was, her being afraid of her life or livelihood or anything else. I think it's just the realization that this is a billionaire. He just walked in and yeah. he's attracted to me simply because of what between my legs. It's plenty yeah. enough women in this world who have done shit that they normally wouldn't have done because the person who did it was a billionaire. Look at all exactly, these black rappers yeah. who have uh, dehumanized women many a time pouring shit on, calling them bitches and hoes, yeah. doing whatever they want to do, and it's because of the amount of money that they have. I don't think exactly. that's, that's what to do with the fact that he's the president, he's Trump, he's attractive, he's not attractive. It ain't got shit to do with this because he has money. And yeah. some of these some things that he said he's done, he's done them. He didn't just say them, he just, he did that shit. The yeah. thing about it is it became outrageous and egregious because this man is going to be our president. Well, that man became our president. That's why it became egregious to us. But it's yeah. everyday society. Yeah, and I was saying, even if you didn't have power or so forth, and we were uh, getting back to the um, the topic about uh, Donald Trump and the dating service or whatever, people who support Donald Trump not being able to find a date, uh, just imagine if it was someone in your own life, like you said, like a <laughs> friend who you know, regularly talked about sexually assaulting women, say he was a, a student or coworker of yours, you know, like a, a classmate or a coworker, say for instance, and he brags in the locker room or at the gym or when you're drinking about assaulting women and then say, I don't know, your sister has a wedding. You know, are you necessarily inviting this person to your wedding to be, be around your nieces and nephews or? No. No, <laughs> is the answer. Uh, it's just not align yourself with someone like that makes you, you know, like culpable if something happens. Yeah. Like you wouldn't invite them after out of the risk that you knew they did shit like this. And then something like that happens, you know, 
Okay. I, I knew a guy right. that had I wouldn't I knew a say, guy in Chicago. Go ahead. I knew a guy in Chicago who had a reputation um like that of being abusive and such. And I saw him hitting on one of my friends at the club one night. And not only did I tell my friend, um, you know, hey, look, I've heard this story a few times from a few different people about him, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, to his credit, he, he actually took the, he took the warning. Because all you can do is warn people. And he took the warning and he told the guy, you know, okay, well, I'll catch up with you later or whatever. And the guy, let's see, started to come out right then and there. Calls me to, you know, have to take him, have a conversation with him. Um, but I had to do what I needed to do to protect my friend and make sure that my friend was not in a bad situation. That is something that we all need to do. Please do, because we don't consider, and I'm talking about the we as in this country, we, these things actual crimes. It amazes me when I see when I see these polls about what do you consider rape, you know, that there's different kinds of rape. The person the minute says, no, I don't want to do this, or they're unconscious and can't say, oh, I want to do this. Congratulations, dude. That's rape. So I'm sorry, Lana, you go ahead. The only thing I was just simply going to say is that in my younger life, yes, I've heard men talk this way because I don't want no one to think that I sit back and allow these things to happen in my adult life. But far as banter, locker room banter, yes, I have heard people, um, people in my life now who have talked about how they've dogged this person out and how they had this sexual escapade and other people who have breeded other people and never told these people that they were HIV positive. And I'm just sitting back like, are you really fucking serious right now? So to me, locker room banter just simply means these private conversations that we've had with people that, you know, just in our private setting, not necessarily in a locker room. But I do agree that we need to take rape very seriously. But as far as locker room banter, that's what I was referring to. Yeah, I mean, it's not in that situation. I, I, I get that, Lonnie. But, yeah. you're talk, but again, you're talking about two different things. No, I'm just gonna say what what do you don't doesn't that sort of information make you feel uncomfortable when someone says something like that? Says what information? That they've uh like you said, uh, you know, unknowingly um possibly exposed someone to HIV and didn't um, inform them like, about it. In this lifestyle, one one group of people in the LGBT community say you need to watch out for yourself. The other people in the LGBT community say, hey, you know, it's not right for you to do that. So it's like one of those lines that, you know, you really have to take control of your own sexual um, uh, escapades or whatever. You can't. I'm just saying, how does it make you feel about 
that person know? That's all I'm saying. Like the person um, who discloses that to you. Um, being this person, we uh, we weren't the best of friends. I just knew them as a person, and I tried to be there for them as much as I possibly could be. Um, I'm just saying, how does it inform the compass? But other than that. I don't know. I mean, did it inform your opinion about who that person was? Yeah, it did. Okay, and so I'm just saying, going back to the thing we originally said was, don't you think it's reasonable for someone, say, not to endorse or support someone who says things like that? Yes, because birds of a feather flock together. So even if you don't necessarily think or behave in that manner, if you endorse that person, the concept of American, the, the the court of public opinion is going to say that you think, feel, and act in the same way. So, yes, if you did something that I found was egregious and you became a public figure and I felt like your behaviors in general are egregious, then I'm going to be like, I don't endorse you because I could get dragged into that foolishness. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. So why I don't have to become a public figure? Why can't they just yeah, that's what I'm saying. Joe Blow that you go to the gym with? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it should. Uh, yeah, that's all. And, and the whole reason that people say this this new, where they say no fems, no fats, no red hats. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it happens. It's a thing. Apparently, they add red hats to it now. So <laughs> it's a thing um, for a reason. Um, anyway, uh, going to our next topic. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about immigration. If anyone else had something else, um, I had this story about uh, two Kansas towns and the story of immigration. Um, basically, there's a city, uh, Garden City, Kansas. Um, I don't know that maybe 20 years ago uh, was facing, I don't know what you would call a, a problem that happens in most rural towns, which is just people move away. And, um, you know, some of the larger centers that had jobs uh, either closed or moved to another city. And there's this town just looking for jobs. And uh, there was this meat packing industry, I don't know, a company that proposed, you know, opening up in this town, Garden City, Kansas. Uh, the only problem is, is that they don't have much of a workforce there. So a lot of times they would bring in immigrants, uh, specifically immigrants from Africa, uh, Somalia, uh, Nigeria, you know, um, yeah, there's, it, it was interesting they, they mentioned that now, 20 years later, uh, in this little small town in Kansas, there are upwards of 26 different languages that are spoken in little communities because of how they conducted this operation, basically, you know, it's a really, really nasty, horrible job, meatpacking. <laughs> not a lot of people want to do it, but it needs to get done. Um, and I think the story kind of illustrated sort of how immigrants dealing American jobs is probably unwarranted because, at least in some situations, because they save communities sometimes. You know, they provide... Uh, you know, this company, for instance, that was in Garden City, Kansas, uh, wouldn't exist if not for legal immigration um, and, you know, seeking out employers, especially over these 
it has a very high turnover. So one of the things that happens, you know, when this company hires someone, say from Somalia, they work there for, you know, two to four years, they get enough money to move somewhere else and do something to train or they leave because it's a horrible job. <laughs> it's a shitty, horrible job that you move on from and do better things. So you have to continue to import even more people from overseas to do this work. And over the past 20 years, this little community of like, you know, 20 something different nationalities have um, sprung up in this little rural town. And I found it interesting. <laughs> I've never heard of Garden City, Kansas. I don't think anyone has, but you know, it exists. It's interesting. <laughs> um, I don't know. How do you feel about, um, cause I, I, you know, a lot of, you know, discussions we've had over the last week about uh, immigration and customs enforcement, rounding up people with felonies. I know you've probably seen that in the news. Uh, you know, they're saying it's not strange. You know, they had, um, I think it was like 600 or more um, uh, undocumented people who were rounded up for having committed felonies. And mm several hundred others who were rounded up as well because they were in their vicinity or just with them and they happened to be undocumented. Uh, that's different than the Obama administration, but it should be noted that, you know, under the Obama administration, they, they deported, I think more, um, more people than the last six or seven administrations combined. So, um, they have been doing <laughs> deportations. It's not like they haven't, but they've been specifically targeting those people who commit a crime. And I think what was interesting about, you know, some of the reporting that you might find, you know, when they say, well, if you're, if you're deporting every illegal immigrant, when you deport everyone, cause they've all technically committed a crime by coming here. Well, actually it's not a crime. <laughs> it's not a criminal offense. It is a civil offense. You don't, actually receive penalties for immigrating without papers. You're just deported. If you were, if it was a crime, you would receive some sort of penalty like jail time or a fine, but what you receive is deportation. <laughs> this is what you can receive. And it's not a considered a criminal offense. So uh, I found that interesting too, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can, you know, if you are undocumented, you can at any point face deportation, like it's really up to the discretion of the locality, if whether or not they are going to give that information over to federal authorities. Uh, most don't. And um, I, when I actually read about that, if that, it makes the definition of a sanctuary city kind of blurry, because even tall sanctuary cities don't necessarily cooperate directly with federal agents um you know the most they will do is notify them and do nothing else just say like we noticed this person we arrested has a uh you know has no papers and or you know it can be a crime for instance i, I should say having illegal documentation is a crime so if you you know have a fake id or fake papers you can be arrested for that but um you know, other than that, there's sometimes little reason to hold someone if they do. And 
you know, many times ICE will ask local localities to keep them in jail until they can fill out the paperwork to come get them. And a lot of people don't, even if they're not called sanctuary cities. It's like, uh, we got space here that you're not compensating us for because we have a jail that we're running. <laughs> and so they will cooperate to the degree that they're required to, especially, uh, you know, telling them the location of people that they have a warrant out for arrest. They'll do that, you know, uh, but they're not forced to in, um, participate in those raids, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated story. I don't know if anyone had read or commented on some of the local, uh, some of the stories about ICE and uh, deportations that have been happening over the past four or so weeks. Oh, but I do know this. Mm. Um, and I, I discovered this recently. Again, you have to go and check your history because we will repeat it and we are repeating it. Um, during, I'm going to get some of these dates wrong. I'm going to say this ahead of the time. Um, this is not the first time we've dealt with this whole Mexican um, immigration situation and a president. There's yeah. been a couple of times in history of the of, of the United States where we have actually welcomed Mexicans in. We needed them. Yeah. And this kind of goes to your whole talk about the city in you said Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, this was Garden City, Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, gone off to war. We needed a workforce. You know, we needed a workforce to make bombs and make planes. And, you know, women stepped in, but they never talk about the Mexicans from Mexico that they invited to come to America, you know, to help with the war effort. Yeah. When the war effort was over, illegal. Yeah. yeah. And then they got shoved out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then they were brought back for something else. And then another president would pull thing, you know, the Trump is kind of going, they're taking your jobs, they're stealing your women, blah, da, 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 da. You know, let's shove them out. So this is actually the third time in modern U.S. history that we're going through this whole get them out, get them out, get them out thing. Um, yeah. Which does yeah. result in places, you know, like the city you were talking about. Um, you know, but it also talks to a larger issue of, you know, us going back on our word a lot. Yeah. Which, you know, that would be an American way, which is horrible and fucked up. <laughs> you know, when we need you, we're your best friend, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's true. And like I said, that it, it benefits small towns in many different ways. Um, like I said, it benefits the whole country at some points, not just small towns. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole entire country. And, you know, I think we need to just, you know, shit or get off the pot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were actually, um, they had one story about um, Mike Pence's hometown of, uh, was it Columbus, Indiana? And talking about how, you know, immigration saved this town, basically. Um, and they do have a lot of people who come in for some of the lower paying jobs that, 
you know, Americans themselves would not necessarily want to be in because they have more options. Um, and so people who are looking for work typically are, you know, coming from all around the world for these international corporations, these huge companies that, you know, don't necessarily need to move overseas to get foreign labor, you know, just saying like yeah. put the word out and, you know, fill out the visa application for them, you know? Um, you know, I think I've always been on the fence with that comment uh, about how immigrants will take and do the work that Americans won't do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cause I know tons of people who will do whatever they get paid to do. You know what I mean? They just want the work. Yeah. I'm just- what about <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but this is the funny thing is that a lot of those um, those immigrants they're paying the, them. You're, you know, they're paying for their visa. They're paying to go through the screening process. It literally costs them more. So I'm just saying, like there there are other things going on because once they immigrate, they are subject to the same minimum wage requirements that any here. So uh, they're you actually do have an advantageous position as an American citizen to get these jobs because they have to jump through additional hoops to get these people from overseas. So I don't know. I'm just saying that um, it is a little more complex. And I think there are issues where people are looking and feeling some kind of way about, you know, people being there, but think of it like this. They said in a lot of these towns, I think the reason I used that as an example was these towns were, were about to become extinct because they couldn't raise revenue from property taxes because there was no one living there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the people who wanted to, you know, continue to have a community needed the extra, you know, property taxes, the rent, paying, buying, starting businesses, you know, um, other people, once they move on from this meatpacking plant, you know, they might start a restaurant for the people who do work there and want their native food. And they need people to mop and wash dishes. <laughs> I mean, they hire people and pay salaries to people who live in these communities. So, I don't know. It goes both ways mm-hmm. is all I'm saying. Well, Shaka, do you think that um, with that narrative of um, the work that, that Americans won't do? Yeah, I think there are plenty of people who would do a job if you give them the opportunity. You know, there are tons of people who don't give at cons jobs. There are tons of people who don't give people of color jobs. There are people who are young, people who are old, uh, older, I should say. But, you know, I, well, do, you I think that when they, do you think that when they say that, when they say the, the jobs that Americans won't do, do you think that they mean white privileged Americans? Uh, don't they always? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It should be noted that, you know, Oklahoma's overwhelmingly white. Yeah. I'm not just talking about Oklahoma, though. <laughs> I'm um, just saying it is, though. an article recently where they took a bunch of people out on the farm and, like, six, you know, to do the job that, you know, Americans won't do. And, like, six of them lasted. Like, out of the 50 people they took out there, six of them stuck around to the end. Yeah, and I would say those people who do immigrate to take these jobs often don't stay. You know? You know, a lot of times it's enough opportunity, enough money for them. No, no, these were Americans. Hmm. were Americans. These were not Mexicans. Yeah, I think... Undocumented people. These were Americans. 
I think it's just a natural instinct that if you can find something better, you do. And oftentimes people work these jobs temporarily. Like I said, a lot of these people have very, very high turnover, even amongst those who are here illegally, like they move on, they find better, they find better opportunities. It's a stepping stone. Um, I think it depends on what you're, I think it depends on where you're talking. I think it depends on what area of work you're talking about. And here's why I say that. Having worked in kitchens in New York, I have to learn to speak Spanish. And there's even a place that teaches a class called Kitchen Spanish, (laughs) which I almost took. (laughs) And it's way different from the Spanish you just mentioned. A lot of these people that I met, and as far as I know, they were all legal. Um, But a lot of these guys that I met that worked as barbacks or uh, worked as porters or whatever, or dishwashers, they had been at these jobs 12, 14, 18 years. This restaurant opened and this guy was working here. And 12 years later, he's still working here. And when he leaves here, he goes to his second job. Yeah, they said it's like 50% or more turnout. That would still mean that there 50% that don't. <laughs> so I'm not saying that it's, um, but there is there is a high turnover of people who accept those jobs. As many people who say. But that's, what I, but that's what I'm saying. It yeah. depends on what type of jobs you're talking about. You don't get that high of a turnover. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm just talking specifically. Yeah, I'm talking specifically about meatpacking right now. Oh, now specifically like this, this job that which causes injuries, a lot of people, you know, you're cutting big hunks of meat, you know, chopping off chicken heads and shit, you know, uh, covered in animal waste. And, you know, it's just something that (laughs) not everyone's willing to put up. There was a butcher, there was a butcher, there's a butcher shop. And again, this might be, this might also be uh, locational. There's a butcher mm. shop that I used to go to. And, you know, a few of those guys who worked in there had been there for years. Um, there's, uh, um, oh shit, they call them places where they sell the fish. Uh, fish fish market. Yeah. Well, you know, those guys, and again, as far as I know, all these folks were legal. Um, I, I guess as the far thing as is I it- know, they were legal. I'm sure some of them probably were not because New York is a um, um, and even when I lived in Nashville, ironically enough, there was a large Hispanic population there because mm-hmm. um, I was living and working in Nashville when Hurricane Katrina happened. Hmm. A number of people who moved to Tennessee after that happened. Um yeah officer tell me once that you know that's how i knew nashville was a sanctuary city he said yeah you know we we don't even stop and give illegals tickets when they're driving okay yeah yeah so yeah that was it was just interesting and i I, um, what was that was that the devil (laughs) i think that was a feedback loop yeah um, I don't know how that happened, but um, yeah, there's one more story that I want to do before we do our check it out because I try to end by five. 
Um, so before I do that, I want to give everyone a chance to do another one. Uh, the check it out segment is anything that brought you joy this week, since I know that a lot of the stories here are downers. Uh, let's get the down shit out of the way <laughs> and end on something happy. Um, I, I do want to talk about the, um, it's the 70, 75th anniversary of uh, Japanese internment. Um, there was a, I don't know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed this executive order to round up um, Japanese citizens and put them into internment camps. They were there for two to three years until the end of the war. And I just wanted to talk about, I wanted to play a clip if I can. <laughs> it's about three minutes and it's about this community in um, Los Angeles called Little Tokyo. And I thought, um, instead of just talking about it, I would play it. So let me see if I can do that and then we'll discuss it. Um, let me know if uh, you can hear this. 75 years ago today, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed an executive order that forced 120,000 Japanese and Japanese Americans into World War II internment camps. Adrian Florido of NPR's Code Switch team has the story of a woman, Sandy Hashimoto, who recalls what happened to her and what happened to her neighborhood. Hashimoto and her family lived in LA's little Tokyo. She remembers her parents and neighbors rushing to sell off their belongings. And she remembers the day they packed their bags. And there were um, soldiers with rifles. And uh, they told us all to, you know, get on the train. So we did. The train took them 200 miles away to the Manzanar internment camp. They lived there for more than three years. When they were released, the family moved back home, reopened their dry cleaning business. But little Tokyo had changed. It was all black. You know, all our customers was black. Where there used to be Japanese restaurants and shops, the businesses were now African-American. The apartments the Japanese families left behind now housed black workers. Little Tokyo even had a new name, Bronzeville. Hashimoto made her first black friend, a little girl who lived nearby. And sometimes uh, I would go over to a place, her mother would be braiding her hair. And then as soon as she finished braiding her hair, then she says, I'll braid yours too. So I said, okay. One day her friend moved away. And gradually, the other black residents in the neighborhood did, too. The black people were there. And then all of a sudden, the uh, Japanese-American, they were all coming out of camp one by one. It was little Tokyo again. I thought maybe I was dreaming that these stories were they were there and they were gone. But it wasn't a dream. It is a little-known bit of L.A. history. Historian Christopher Jimenez West met me in little Tokyo. He says after the Japanese were interned, building owners had a lot of vacant property to fill. And this coincided with the arrival of many Southern Blacks who came to L.A. for wartime jobs. You're coming with very little resources, and so you're looking for the least expensive place to stay. But in segregated L.A., only about 5% of residential areas were open to Blacks, including Little Tokyo. So Black workers crowded in. They just got stuffed in like sardines into the community. The neighborhood's population nearly quadrupled. This brought problems like overcrowding and communicable disease. Still, the community was vibrant. Bars, barbecue joints, jazz clubs opened where you could see Charlie Parker perform. But just as quickly as it sprang up, after the war, Bronzeville disappeared. Martha Nakagawa is a local historian. Japanese Americans slowly came back. And the white building owners prefer to have them come back. So sometimes they would not renew the leases of the African-American businesses. Or the Japanese-Americans would come back and buy the leases out. 
And so that's how the slowly the transition happened. She says this transition created both tension and efforts at solidarity. In a couple of cases, Japanese organizations sued black business owners to get property back. Other Japanese folks worked to help displaced black residents find new places to live. Today, few physical reminders of the Bronze Hill era remain. There used to be a mural with Charlie Parker, but it's been painted over. But if you're walking in Little Tokyo and you look down, you'll see a timeline etched into the sidewalk. The words 1942, Little Tokyo becomes Bronzeville are inscribed in gold. Adrian Florido, NPR News, Los Angeles. All right. So I don't know. Um, we were talking about immigration earlier and um, how uh, some, I don't know, like the uh, immigration order and executive orders in general. Um, you know, it's it just interesting that it's the 75th anniversary. Now another. <laughs> you know, I think you another executive this week, by the way. After the holiday weekend. Um, so anyway, your thoughts on the story, Bronzeville and Little Tokyo, you know, continuing, I guess, the theme about immigration and so forth. But how do you, what were your thoughts about it? I didn't take away immigration from that. Um, I took away the U.S. once again doing some bullshit dividing people. Yeah. And if we could, and, and Lonnie has suggested this, you know, a couple times before, if we could all look at what unites us and accept divides us, we wouldn't have these problems anymore. Yeah. You know, the blacks and the Japanese should have banded together at yeah. Instead of the whole, you know, trying to vie for who's on top of the barrel. Of yeah. But don't, it, I, you know, I, I, I see the irony in that story because we don't, at least when from, you know, some of these Facebook groups that I'm in, um, I don't see solidarity. I see us versus them and we buy into it as well. I think if the shoe was on the other foot, I think that we probably wouldn't want to uh, blend or form form a solidarity with the Asian community as well, and the joke to, the joke is on the American people. And what I find um, confusing from the Asian community is they come right back out and they um, almost seem as if they fall in line with the same system that lo- locked them up for uh, three years and 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 some you know, concentration camp. I yeah. think that was a little, uh, that was a little nutty to me, but yeah. uh, you know, to, to come back out and, and see that black people have basically infiltrated the community and kind of kept it going <laughs> so they could have somewhere to come back to. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they only went into those communities because, you know, from a statistic that was totally, they only 5%. I believe um, of, of, of spaces that were available were even open to black people to even like come into. So right. that was an opportunity there for them to really just form a new community, not necessarily make it be about us versus them, but okay, well, this is the system that we're fighting against. Let's build, yep. let's form a stronger community. 
You know, people buy too much into this race shit. And, 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 and I get it from an identity standpoint, but you don't buy into it from a delusional standpoint. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the well, Asian community and the black community were fighting the same system. And the Asian community, being such a prideful community, chose not to see it that way. Well, I know that when we had this discussion about immigration and the ban and the protest to the ban, um, I think we played a video talking about why black people shouldn't necessarily support the protest to the Muslim ban. And, you know, I, I just think that this story harkens back to the fact that oppressed people can be just as, you know, harsh as those who aren't, you know, like there's like, I want, I want my community back and I'm willing to buy you out. And I know that this is a racist system. And I'm not going to support you. Like they, they got the landlords to not renew the leases of black owners or of their businesses and move back in. And so even though they were forced to sell all their property, <laughs> that was part of the internment process was before you were sent to this internment camp, like you weren't allowed to bring anything you had to sell your home or your property if you were renting whatever, uh, because you had to go. Well, actually, what the, what the story said was that the white building owners decided they would rather have the Japanese back yeah. than the blacks, and they decided not to renew their leases. Yeah. Um, it could cause yeah. a lot of strife in the you know, neighborhood. But, yeah, and they also said that there were people in that neighborhood who tried to find new, new um, homes for the people they, yeah, displaced. Yeah, tried to help. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Shaka, I think that you are. I think you're. I think you're right. I think the problem is that I'm going to just use us as a. I think nobody wants to be black. <laughs> and what I mean by that is nobody wants to be treated the way black people have been treated, even when black people have not necessarily been on it. Because, like, there was a few years a while ago, um, black people weren't black when, you know, Arabs were black. <laughs> they could not get on planes. You know, you were wearing a turban, that shit made folks uncomfortable, and they weren't getting. You know, they weren't able to move into whatever neighborhood they wanted to, and all these other things. Or have a conversation on the phone in Arabic and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you're nervous. Yeah. You're pull <laughs> shit yeah. Um, so, the, so I think that at the end of the day, nobody wants to be black. And I think what gets missed is that all got together then nobody would have to be, you know, or at least nobody, or at least nobody with various sundry shades in their skin would have to be, which leads to the whole opposite of fear of white people, that if you get into power, you're going to treat me the way I treated you. Yeah. Well, they deserve it. <laughs> they deserve it. They brought it on themselves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. I hear you. Yeah. I am still <laughs> the mindset that I would much prefer that I'm going to quote Nina Simone. You don't have to live next to me. Just give me my equality. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
I don't yeah. want you. I don't want you to be under my feet any more than I want to be under yours. Can we all just get along? Yeah, I, and, and and I don't know if we can ever get along as a human species. Um, but I think we can, but it will take the aliens attacking to do it. Yeah, pretty much. We would have to have like some entity that would come in and try and challenge us, but that's only going to be for a moment. It's only going yeah. to be for a moment. Yeah, you're right. No. You're right. So, I do want to go ahead and um, get ready for to end the broadcast. We'll try to end around five. So we're going to do our last segment, which is uh, our little spot of joy known as the Check It Out segment. Um, has there been anything that brought you joy this week? Let us know. And I'm going to do some shameless M3 plugs. Uh, one thing that did bring me joy was uh, Chris... Impact Sudden is hosting a new gaming podcast for us, and he has it up on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google and all that good stuff. And uh, I think this past week uh, we recorded episode five, which will be coming out this week. And uh, check for that. If you subscribe to us on YouTube, you get a notification when it's posted. And um, you know SoundCloud and all that. Just search for Mail Me Your Mind, and you'll see it. Um, if you're a gamer geek. Uh, I forget what we talked about, though. I think the new Pokemon Go expansion. <laughs> Which, I'm, I'm actually mocking everyone who does. Is that still a thing? It is. It is. They just added 80 Pokemon, and they're going to add a... And so, yeah, you're going to see people fighting their Pokemon on the street. So <laughs> it's something that they promised, you know, since the launch of the game is coming out. Probably almost a year later after the app was released. But yeah, there's something still like 30 million people who play it is still pretty popular. I saw a woman playing at the movie theater yesterday. Yeah. It's still one of the more popular games. At its height, it had 75 million users though. Mm. So it has shrunk by almost, you know, two thirds, but still, it's still popular. Um, I guess what else? Is going on any projects anyone's working on they want to promote or stories that um uplifted you this week well i can say one of the things that i am happy about is i have a day off tomorrow <laughs> i will not be celebrating president's day in terms of uh, 45 but i will be celebrating all the presidents who has contributed to the progression of this country and for people who may or may not be citizens I will yeah. celebrate those achievements. The yeah. other thing is the projects that I'm working on. Okay, so um, you guys know me from, or I was introduced uh, as Get Your Love Life, but um, I've just released like a new component to Get Your Love Life, and that's Get Your Love Life Dating. It is a uh, vetted process when it comes to, you know, if you're looking for uh, love or relationships or dating, it's not a sex thing. This is don't turn it into that. If I get the ink or if my team gets the inclination that you are looking for that, you will be disconnected from the call. So don't. <laughs> is it, it kind of like a matchmaking service? It is, it is like a matchmaking that? service. It is a matchmaking okay. service. Um, everyone uh, has uh, the des- everyone who is um, incepted into the program because it is a sort of a program. Um, there is a, there is a, there is a, there's an interview. That every, <laughs> there is a, there is an interview that every candidate has to go through, and 
you know, that that's where the vetting comes in for that particular like process in terms of like getting to know you, getting to know what your interests are, what you like and what partner uh, that is going to be compatible with you. So we match you up, of course, with ideal matches and been pretty successful so far. So um, again, uh, it's get your love life dating to go to the site. You'll go to get your love life dot wordpress.com let's get your love life dot wordpress.com uh there is a, a tab on the page you click the get your love life dating tab and get all the details and information from there okay but you gotta be approved you do have to be approved <laughs> Ooh, excuse me yes Charles, my name is on the list the dj left <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, yeah, definitely something uh, we'll have to talk about more because I I want to know like what what strategies you do to match people up and so forth because that sounds. Like I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that after you get accepted. Okay. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm curious secret. about it, but I can't be on it because I'm not looking to date. I'm already dating, but I am curious oh. to see how this is working. Yeah. Well, it's working pretty good so far. I've matched up a couple of, you know, different people. I don't want to put too much out there in terms of we'll the, the strategy, line. but we'll talk offline. We'll talk offline. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, you can find me at Poppy Chula Radio during several things right now, including the new Legion series on FX. Um the way with which is only going to be on one more week. Um, the Walking Dead. And we're doing this new thing called Summer Camp, where we're going to watch these really old campy movies and give our verdicts on them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to be taping that real soon. Also, yeah. uh, I want to uh, to talk about one particular movie that I think everybody should check out. I saw it yesterday. It's a uh, it's a uh, Oscar nominated movie called Hell or High Water <laughs> with Jeff Bridges. It is fucking amazing. It is nothing. And it's also got the guy that played Captain Kirk in Star Trek. Yeah, um, it's nothing I would have ever gone to see. But Jared is a huge awards person and drug me to this thing where they show all the movies together over the course of two weeks, over the course of two Saturdays. So we watched four movies back to back yesterday. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> yesterday they showed um, uh, Manchester by the Sea, this Hella High Water and La La Land. Mm. Okay. So it was kind of the opposite of a shit sandwich. Um, <laughs> the meat was really good in the middle, but the bread was shit. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I get to see the other five movies. Okay, uh, that is cool. But yeah, Hell or High Water is a it's a movie that kind of got under, kind of went under the radar. But I'm telling you, it's just it's a really really interesting movie. Yeah, um, it's about these two brothers. And one is, you know, basically a piece of shit that's been in and out of jail. And the other one is a father of two children. He and his wife are divorced. And he 
you know, takes care of the mother who passes away and the bankers try to take their land because the mother has a reverse mortgage and all this shit on it and the land has oil on it. So the two brothers become bank robbers in order to keep their land. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It was. It was a really. It's, it's a really. It's a modern day western, and it's just really. It takes place in Texas. It's really good. Hmm, okay. Well, I I had a couple check it outs, which are not things that I've seen, but things I'm looking forward to. Um, for some reason, I'm addicted to watching like things that happen at Mardi Gras and Carnival. You know, just kind of a, a hobby of mine. I don't know. So that's coming up, and also this movie uh, Get Out that uh. Uh, I guess Jordan, uh, you know, from the Key and Peele uh, wrote and directed. Uh, <laughs> it's basically about um, this guy going home to see his uh, his fiance's parents, and how it turns really wrong into this sort of um, I don't know stepper wives type deal, mm-hmm. <laughs> like their family estate is, you know brainwashing people and weird shit like that so and um yeah so i guess first major project uh jordan peele is doing since um key and peele so i'm kind of looking forward to it um but yeah if there's nothing else i guess we'll go ahead and end the broadcast you can obviously uh be a part of the conversation we did check out the uh the q a and there was nothing else left no last no last story so yeah, if anyone wants to respond to any of the topics that we had this week, you can go to uh, youtube.com slash mailmediamind, leave a comment. You can tweet us at mailmediamind or inbox me at mailmediamind1 on Instagram. Um, we appreciate everybody who was here today. Uh, thank you for being here, taking the time out to discuss all this. And, um, you know, everyone who participated in the Q&A and watched or has subscribed on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the M3 Bear Essentials podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or whichever podcatcher you use. And if you would like to get more content from M3, visit mailmediamind.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, and many others. But most importantly, our link to YouTube, where you can subscribe and get a notification when we go live. There, you can participate in the Q&A and be a part of the conversation. Again, my name is Malcolm Travers, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode.